Right, my name is Adam. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. <clears throat> um, thank you for asking me to share. Uh, it's funny the way that, uh, like the Nine Step Promises says, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my sponsor, and I was like, he, it had come up that I had never told my story, and he was like, man, when God's ready for you to tell that story, he'll, he'll have somebody show up. And, and I think it was like three days later, I got asked to tell my story. Um, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I was originally, I was born in uh, Buffalo, New York. I moved down there when I was two. Um, my alcoholism was something that I didn't even realize until I'd gotten in this program, really. I knew that I had a problem, but I didn't know what it was. Um, from a very early age, I was constantly needing to be the center of attention. Um, and that, I mean, that would display in, in all types of ways. Um, my addiction to things that would make me feel better, I mean, started when I was probably eight. I mean, it's been everything in the book. Whether that was food, whether that was sex, drugs, alcohol, it didn't matter. If it would change the way I felt, that was that was fine by me. Um, I had my first drink at 12, and I remember everybody describes it kind of the same way. They talk about how, you know, their first drink, they finally felt like they belonged. And as cliche as it might sound, I really did. The second I started to feel that drink hit me, I remember thinking... <coughs> All right, I'm an adult now. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. You know, I get to hang out with everybody now. Um, and what I didn't realize until I had gotten in this program was that was that obsession piece. Uh, I ever since I took that first drink, my my thought process was always about alcohol. I would walk through the kitchen, staring at the cabinets, like which one is it in? Um, I grew up with alcoholic parents who don't know they're alcoholic to this day. Um, but that didn't really present early on. My family was very religious and, uh, you know, they like to pretend like they didn't have any kind of problems. Uh, when I first moved to Virginia, my mom had met a woman and they became good friends because my mom had a bunch of kids and she had a bunch of kids. Uh, I was two at the time and one of her daughters uh, was just born at the time. I became pretty good friends with her older, uh, her oldest son, and as my life went on, they ended up moving out to Austin. Uh, I remember when I was about eight, this, you know, I'd had a crush on this girl right before she had moved away, and they ended up moving away, and I thought, okay, I'm never going to see her again. I got a call from the oldest guy. He said, hey, man, come out to Austin. So I came out here. This was freshly after trying to get sober on my own. Um, so I came out here. I visited, and me and that girl reconnected, and we started you know, talking about, oh, this and all that, and I'm going to move out here, and I'm going to get married. And I, so I did. I saved for a year. I moved out here, um, and right before I moved here, she ended up marrying somebody else. And that was... <clears throat> That was almost enough of an excuse for me to go try and drink again. Um, actually, it's a lie. It was enough of an excuse. I did go out. Um, and I thought that was it, man. I thought that was the end of it. Um, I came to find out that the only thing that was going to get me to Austin and get me to find recovery uh, and a way of life that was meaningful 
uh, was if God dangled a carrot. And I found out, building my relationship with my higher power, that he loves to dangle that carrot. Um, you know, today I'm thankful for that experience. It, it means the world to me that I was given the opportunity to move out here and learn the things that I've learned. Um, you know, before I did move out here, I'll talk a little bit about my, uh, you know, my addiction. Um, I started drinking when I was, you know, young, and that continued all throughout school. Uh, I remember in, in high school, you know, convinced I didn't have a problem, despite, you know, seeing it in my family. Um, I never thought it was weird that a 14-year-old kid could take 20 shots back to back and be fine. I thought that was just <laughs> fine. Um, and it wasn't until I got to Austin that I realized that's not normal. <laughs> um, I drank like that for a long time until uh, it got to a point where, you know, my mom, she ended up not having enough money to feed me, so she left me uh, as she walked out of the liquor store with two bottles of whiskey. And I was like, you know what? Never again. I'll never drink. Like, it's alcohol is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. So I decided that drugs would be fine because she didn't do drugs. <laughs> um, I started uh, using drugs after I got out of high school. I got you know, blessed with this great job, this great opportunity. Um, and that's when things really took off. That's, that's the point when I realized that I really had a problem. I got mixed up with um, some friends of mine from high school. And you know, it was a, it was a fantastic time. I ended up moving in with this girl. We started dating. Uh, our whole friend group would just hang out at our house the whole time, and we would just go balls to the wall. I mean, every single day. I remember trying to stay up all night, go to work and work all day, and stay up all night the next day. And I think my record was like seven days. Um, day five gets a little weird. <laughs> um, day seven, it's like an out-of-body experience. Uh, this. The point where I realized that, you know, things were, maybe I wasn't treating alcohol and drugs normally. Um, when I got out of high school, I was about 350 pounds. I was a big dude. And I think within six months, um, just going at it, I looked in the mirror and I didn't even recognize who I was. I was 220 pounds, droopy eyes. I just, like, I didn't even recognize myself. I thought, like, who is this person? And looking in that mirror was such a crazy experience. I thought that I thought that, that might be enough to make me stop, but it didn't. Um, I kept going at it, and a friend of mine, um, you know, we ended up partying a lot. Uh, it got to a point where he had ended up <coughs> taking maybe a little bit more than, uh, more than he could handle. Um, and he ended up falling asleep for about five days. In those five days, I spent sitting on the couch waiting for him to vomit the next time to make sure that I could clear his throat so that he wouldn't choke to death. And you'd think that an experience like that would make you realize like, man, maybe you're not on the right path, but it didn't. I kept going. Around day five, we all started to get kind of worried Maybe it was a little late to get worried. We should have realized sooner. <laughs> um, 
he was still breathing, but we thought, man, he needs to wake up. Um, I remember, I mean, at this point I had stayed up so many days, it's like, it's hard to place what happened when. Uh, I remember this girl that we were partying with saying, let's pour water on him, let's see if he wakes up. So she takes out a bottle of water and she puts two drops on his forehead. Uh, before I even realized what was happening, he had stood up, reached for his bag, grabbed, grabbed a gun out of it, cocked it, and put it to her head. I don't remember much of it, but I know that a couple seconds later I had the gun, and somehow it didn't go off. I don't like, I don't particularly want to tell the horror stories, but each and every single one of them shows exactly the way that God has shown up for me and doing the things that I couldn't do for myself. I couldn't have kept that gun from going off. Um, that, that whole experience, again, you would think would make you stop. You, you, a normal person would be like, okay, that's enough. Like, I don't need to live like this. This isn't, I don't, clearly there's something wrong here. So we suggested that he go to rehab because he might have a problem. Uh, and he did. He ended up going to rehab. And he tried to get me to promise that I wouldn't use while he was gone. And I was like, absolutely, man. No, no problem. Like, you're getting sober. I'm going to be sober. That lasted probably a solid 12 hours. Um, I was real determined. Uh, but about 12 hours later, somebody had something and they were like, well, this isn't what we normally do, so it's it's fine. It's like it's not even doesn't even count. Um, we went on like that, and he eventually he got back from rehab. He was about ninety days sober, uh, and he found out that we were continuing to use. He then took it upon himself to try and help me get sober, um, so we started going to AA meetings. And my first experience with AA, I walked into this giant church with about a hundred to two hundred old dudes talking about football. They didn't say anything about drugs. They didn't say anything about alcohol. They didn't say how they stopped doing it. They were more concerned about who got the next touchdown. And I was like, man, AA is dumb. Never going back. It's the wackest. So I left. I mean, I, I went to one or two other meetings with him just to, you know, just to try and help him because he's the one that needed the help. Uh, definitely wasn't me. I didn't have a problem. Um, things kept getting worse. Um, the relationship that I had started, you know, in my drug addiction ended up being, uh, really bad. I can't f possibly figure out why. Um, maybe it was a bunch of sick alcoholics. Maybe. I don't know. <coughs> um, but when that relationship ended, I decided that I would give sobriety another shot. Thought maybe, maybe I can really do this. Maybe I can be sober. And so I went and I checked out another AA meeting, uh, this time by myself, and it was whack. Like, this sucks. <laughs> so I went and I tried uh, something, something else. I tried, tried to do it on my own. The first six months of dry time without any kind of program was really tough. Um, but I remember around the six months to uh, a year and a half, I felt like I was killing it. But at that year and a half mark, 
I had realized that I had done nothing but wake up, go to work, go home, and go to bed. And at that point, it wasn't that I was free from alcohol. It just hadn't entered my body. I got constantly obsessed about it. Every second of every single day. It was whether it was thinking about how good it would be right now or how, you know, how it's ruined my life, whatever it was, it was constant, constantly thinking about it. I got just about to two years, and this is right before I, uh, you know, my buddy had told me to come out here. I had learned that that girl was getting married in six months, six months after she told me we were getting married, mm -hmm. and I decided to take a trip to Florida, and somebody had, somebody had given me some drugs, and I was just chilling. I was like, oh, I know you don't need it, but if you keep it and you look at it, it'll remind you not to use it. <laughs> <laughs> on the list of best ideas I've ever had <laughs> that's pretty close to the top <laughs> um, I got I lived in Virginia at the time so the drive down to Orlando was about 14 hours I think I made it an hour and a half in <laughs> before I just took all of it um I was driving down the highway, it was raining, and I was, you know, I was zoned out, and I, it, the highway came to a dead stop, and I, luckily, I was the one car that didn't get hit, but everybody else behind me, I just saw flying plastic, and I was like, thank God that's not my fault. Um, turns out it was probably my fault. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I got down to Florida. And I partied for a little while, and I came back to Virginia, and I decided that I wasn't going to move to Austin anymore. There's nothing there for me. There's no reason to do it. And I had spent the last, you know, six months or eight months trying to save money so that I could move out here. Um, building a cushion didn't work great, but it, it did kind of work. Um, so I spent the next couple of months just going through the motions. Just trying not to, trying not to use again, trying to get back to this white knuckling thing. Despite the fact that it made me want to eat a bullet, I thought it's better than the chaos that you cause while you're using. At least you can fight it one more day and not cause the people around you any harm. So I got back from Florida and I got sober again. And uh, about a month and a half later, it was coming up on September, which was when I was originally going to move here. And I, you know, I wasn't going to go. And then two days before the day I was supposed to move, I just said, I said, fuck it, dude. Like, why not? You know, just give it a shot. So I got on Craigslist. I found a house. I started driving. Two days later, I landed here. And I remember unpacking my stuff as slow as I possibly could because I had no idea what I would do when I was done and I had nothing left to do. And I didn't know anybody here. There was no way I would be able to find drugs. There was no way I was going to be able to, like, well, I'm just going to go back to drinking in my room the second that I, the second I stop unpacking. So, it, I mean, it took me like a day to unpack a half a trunk's worth of stuff. Mm. Once I had finished, I remember sitting in my room, and I don't remember what happens next. I've tried so hard to figure it out but I can't remember what happens next, the next memory that I have. And this was a year, in, this was October of 2018. 
Um, the next thing I remember is raising my hand at Westlake and saying, I don't know what's happening, and AA sucks, but I don't know what to do anymore. Mm. At that meeting, another guy started sharing, and he said basically the same thing. He said, I've got six months, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is what my sponsor tells me to do. And so I went up and I talked to him after the meeting. I said, hey man, my life also sucks. <laughs> and he was like, cool. Have you ever been part of this program? I said, no, I probably won't come back. AA's whack. And he said, whoops, you're good. <laughs> um, so he, uh, we stood outside and we smoked cigarettes and we talked for a little while. Um, and he gave me his number and I gave him my number and I walked away from that meeting and had no intention of calling him. I had no intention of going back. But the next day I woke up to a phone call from this guy. And he said, hey man, how was your night last night? I said, it was good. <laughs> um, he said, what do you have planned for the day? I said, nothing man, I don't, I don't start my job for a little while. Um, he just showed up for me and he asked me how my day was. He was the first person that I met here. And for the first time in my life, somebody wanted me around, wanted to talk to me, and I didn't have anything to give him, nothing. Um, and that really changed my entire experience, my entire vision of what Alcoholics Anonymous had. That guy ended up being my sponsor and took me most of the way through the work. Uh, my second meeting in Austin, after a couple of days talking to this guy, he convinced me to go back and I went back to Westlake and I remember sitting there and I was, I was by myself and they were passing out sobriety chips. And they said, two or more years. This guy stood up. He walked up there, he grabbed a chip. And so he said, how long do you have? And he said, seven years. And I said, bullshit. No fucking way did he do this for seven years and he's got a smile on his face. No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> so the meeting gets over. We all pray and I make a beeline for the door. And before I could out get out the door, two guys stop me and they say, what's up, man? How you doing? You know, I raised my whole hand. I was like, oh, yeah, under 30 days as a writer. Or I was like, I was new here. Uh, and they came and talked to me. And they didn't try and talk to me about... They didn't really try and talk to me about alcohol. They tried to talk to me about how my day was. They tried to talk to me about how my transition to Austin was. Um, and then they asked me about the program. Said, Do you have any experience? And I told them, I was like, yeah, I mean, I've been to a couple meetings. They were all dumb. I was like... <laughs> and uh, the one guy said... Well, let me try and show you that, you know, people your age can be sober and can be happy. Uh, so he gave me an address, and he told me to show up. He said, we're celebrating this guy seven years. Um, we're going to have a little get-together, so come to this house. I took the address. I took his number. I got to my car, and I said, absolutely not. Um, and then I pulled up to the house. And again, I have no idea how that happened. I don't remember making the decision to go. I just remember saying, no, I'm not going to go, and then showing up. Mm -hmm. I pulled up. I got out. I stood at the front door for like 30, 45 seconds, just like, do you really want to do this? Um, and I knocked, and I went in, and I had a really great time. For the first time, I think, in my entire life, I sat in a room full of people. Nobody drank nobody was using and I was having fun 
And these were people my age. They told me to keep coming back, so I did. They started to tell me to go to different meetings, so I did. And they told me about um, a conference that they were bidding or that they were hosting this year, that year in Austin, and it ended up being Texipaw 38. Um, so I went to their meetings. Uh, they they put me on the bid. They made me a member, um, and I started to feel included. I started to feel like. And maybe there is a chance for me. Like maybe I, I can live sober. Maybe I don't have to be miserable the whole time. I remember walking into the hotel where they held Texipaw, which is the Texas State Conference for Young People in AA. And at this point, I thought, okay, maybe there's like 20, 20 or so people my age that are sober, and that's pretty cool. Like that's a, that's a huge number of people. And I walked in, and there were about a thousand people, <laughs> and my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> I was. I never, I, I, there was no part of me that believed that people my age got sober. There was no part of me that believed that anybody on earth could be sober, stay sober, and be happy. Uh, that conference, as much fun as it was, you know, it's, all, it's not all that easy. It's not all God experiences and happy times. Like, it was nerve-wracking. The whole weekend I was bouncing from conversation to conversation, trying my hardest just to fit in and find friends. And people would do as much as they could to keep me included, but I had to put in that work. And that's, that's the biggest takeaway that I got from my entire experience in moving to Austin and getting sober in AA, that no matter how much somebody included me, if I didn't put in the effort to go do what they said, if I didn't put in the effort to go participate in conversations, to, to take the advice, uh, there was no chance for me. Um, one of those guys that tried to kidnap me outside that Westlake mm. meeting and make me go to that house, uh, <laughs> he's my sponsor today. And he's got, you know, he's got good time and he's got what I want. You know, I didn't know at the time that you should find somebody who's got something that you want, but he has, what I, what I want out of life is exactly what he has now. The first sponsor, you know, he was somebody who was going through the same things that I was at the time, and it was exactly what I needed. And my second sponsor is everything that I wanted out of life, and is somebody that I can, you know, I, I can look at him and I can believe that this program works I, uh, you know, as Bailey said, this is my first time speaking, <coughs> and I had a lot of fear over the past couple of months about telling my story because it made all of these, all these thoughts like, man, are you really an alcoholic? Are you qualified to tell other people how to try and stay sober? Um, and what I realized is that my thoughts were all selfish. They were more about, you know, what was what was I doing? You know, how could I tell somebody how to do something? And instead, what I what I realized walking into this room is that I don't have anything to tell you guys except what I what I was told and what I did. My first sponsor told me all the time, he's like, I don't have anything that you can't have. This is just blind leading the blind. He's like, all I can do is tell you what I was told and hope that you'll implement what might work for you. Hope that you implement what's in these books. Um, this life that I live today is unlike anything I ever imagined. 
and I definitely didn't think that I had the capability of being a valuable member of society. But today I get to show up for my friends when they need me. I get to show up for my family when things get rough. I get to show up for my mom when she's struggling with her own addiction. And I get to show up for my, you know, for my community. Um, the best thing that I was ever told in this program is real simple, and I'm sure everybody's heard it, but get a book and read it. Find somebody who's read that book, and those are the things that I did. And today I get to live a life that's that means something to me. I get to rebuild the relationships with my family. I get to work a job that I enjoy going to most of the time. Um, I don't know how long I'm supposed to talk for. Oh, that's good. Pretty no, much it. Mm -hmm. yeah.